It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody can ever tell you that you couldn't do it because you did. On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants mobile app. We'll punch you in the nose for 60 minutes with a relentless competitive attitude. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. Have some fun. Welcome to Thursday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com as well as the mobile app. Good to have you aboard. It is game day, the start of week two in the National Football League. Quick turnaround for the Giants. So we're going to get you set for the matchup between the Giants and the Washington football team as they will renew their rivalry. And the Giants look to bounce back after falling to the Denver Broncos in week one, 27 to 13. Multiple ways you'd interact with us here on the program. 201-939-4513. You can hit us up on Twitter, hashtag Giants Chat. A reminder, you can find the archive of this show and our entire podcast network on the Giants mobile app, podcast platforms everywhere, and at Giants.com slash podcast. He's Paul Dettino. I'm Lance Meadow with you for the next 60 minutes. We'll get into the game. We'll go over the injury report. We'll set the stage for the contest tonight. Hopefully everybody enjoying their Thursday. Paul, I know you're geared up. We already have another football game upon us after that quick turnaround following Sunday's game. How did that happen? (laughs) Well, because of the scheduling. (laughs) I would say that's exactly how that happened. I I can never remember the Giants playing a Thursday night game in week two of the schedule in all my years of doing this. I think this is the most unique scheduling that they've had. Yeah, I'm with you. I remember them playing the Eagles a few years ago. Maybe that was week four, week five. So, you know, they've had an early season Thursday game, but I'm with you. I cannot remember where it happening in the first two weeks of the season. Yeah, so, I mean, look, in one way, and we talked about this yesterday with uh, Jeff Fiegels, that, you know, you can be really happy about it because the Thursday game tends to really punish the guys who have been banged up. And when you do it this early in the year, you're not really banged up and tired that much. So in that regard, it can be a benefit to have it this early. Of course, in this particular instance, the Giants have Barkley coming back and being ramped up from his knee surgery. So he would probably rather have it later in this season rather than right now. Yeah, I think, though, the other positive is the fact that you got the quick turnaround. You've only played one game. For example, if you're playing a Thursday game in week 12, let's say, okay, that means you probably went. I mean, you could have had your bye week. It's possible. I don't want to rule that out. But let's say you didn't have your bye week, Paul. That means you went, you know, 11 consecutive games, and now all of a sudden you get the quick turnaround. If I'm a player, I think it's a little bit easier to manage the quick turnaround when you're only one game into the season as opposed to your body taking a toll on you over the course of 10 or 11 games into the season. I think 52 players feel that way today. Barkley's probably the only one who would rather have it later on. But it is what it is. Uh, He said he would go out there tonight and warm up before the game and tell the coaches how he feels, and then the coaches and trainers will decide how many snaps he gets. It's really that simple. Well, speaking of that, let's go to the injury report because it was released late yesterday. You mentioned Barkley. He is listed as questionable. He was a limited participant at practice from Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, and the Giants have already ruled out three players. So they're not going to be with Evan Ingram, which is not necessarily a surprise. He missed week one with the calf injury. Shane Lemieux now has been ruled out. Remember, that knee injury goes back to the early stages of training camp, and Cam Brown is nursing a hamstring injury. So with Lemieux out of the picture, that probably creates the bigger question mark. Does Ben Bredesen slide in at left guard? Do they go in a different direction? I think that creates a little bit of the land of the unknown. And then we're hearing through reports, the Giants haven't made anything official, that Matt Skurra they now have added to the active roster. Now, you usually add offensive linemen to the active roster prior to a game. So that's not necessarily stunning. But when you take into consideration, he's mainly been a center over his career. He did play right guard with Baltimore as well. So he has experience at both. But considering he's mainly been a center, it at least has thrown out the idea maybe they could experiment with Nick Gates moving over to a different position and going with a different center. So a little different feel here entering the game because of the background of the offensive lineman and, of course, that compiled with Lemieux's injury. Yeah, Lance, it's also quite possible that they go with the same five that they used primarily last weekend when we saw Bredesen, as you mentioned, take 44 snaps at left guard. Uh, they could very easily do that. The, the Skura activation may be nothing more than having added depth at the spot. Uh, or does it maybe have them juggle 
the starting lineup tonight. I I think that's anybody's guess right now. Of course, we didn't even mention the fact that Billy Price is on this team, who you know was the former Bengals center they picked up in that deal uh, shortly before opening day. Maybe he somehow factors into this if they're going to do some kind of shuffling. And part of it also may be they're looking for extra depth, as you hit on, because of the fact that the injuries right now are on the interior of the offensive line. They've got their three tackles. You've got Andrew Thomas, Nate Solder, and Matt Paird, and you have a few guys on the interior that could kick out to tackle, but right now you're dealing with Shane Lemieux. I mean, that's probably the most significant injury, so why not add guys, especially the few players we named have the versatility where you could slide them into center or guard. Now, yeah. we've had this conversation, I think it was right before the season, where I said I wasn't a big fan of moving Nick Gates out of his position because of the chemistry with Daniel Jones. So if you were to ask me, Paul, and once again, this is me speculating. It's nothing definitive that the team has announced or has said, but I think in all likelihood they're going to go with the lineup last week where Bredesen would slide in for Lemieux without tinkering with Nick Gates having to now jump to a new position. Well, yesterday, Jeff Eagles and I actually raised this hypothetical, and we agree with, uh, with what you just said. Uh, to me, it just makes the most sense to keep the five guys who predominantly played against Denver and put those five guys out there today. Uh, you then have the extra week plus going into the Atlanta Falcons game if you decided you wanted to tinker with that lineup. It all comes down to how they feel about Ben Bredesen. If they feel that he has held up over the course of the first game and then assuming he's there again tonight, then you really don't have to make a change. I mean, nobody's saying you have to move Nick Gates out of center, even if you're not happy with Bredesen, let's say. You have other options. You throw out Billy Price. Matt Skura, as I mentioned, could play guard. So they can get away with making changes with still keeping Nick Gates at center. There's no rule of thumb right now that as part of the change or the game of musical chairs, that Gates has to be slid out of center. Yeah, I agree with you. And, you know, the funny part about this is if they decide to shuffle the lineup tonight, and, again, we don't know if they will, and it was uh, Scorer's agent who put out on Twitter this morning that he was being activated to the 53. We need to make that very clear. We're, we're working off of the news by Scorer's agent. The Giants have not announced any activation of any kind. But let's assume that that is, in fact, holding true. Uh, you look at it and you say to yourself, well, if Price or Scora should somehow be inserted into the starting lineup, that would be a very risky proposition in that you're going up against a Washington defensive front that's going to be probably with their hair on fire after they did not play very well in the week one loss against the Chargers. Uh, they're very angry, at least from the reports down in D.C. They're ticked off. They're disgusted. They're sickened by what they put on film, and they are supposedly chomping at the bit to come back and put together a good football game tonight. Now, you know, that's already the most talented or certainly one of the top three most talented defensive lines in the National Football League. And if they're angry, um, that's, uh, that's quite a challenge. And I don't necessarily know that I would want a reconfigured line going against them. Yeah, I'm with you. And the short turnaround, you didn't practice a lot this week. So that's why it makes more sense to stick with what worked in place of Shane Lemieux last week. And then, as you mentioned, you have then more than a week heading into Atlanta if you want to make some changes and you'll have more practice time, which I think is critical. As far as Washington's defense, the challenge at hand, which you were alluding to, yeah, they got four first-round picks up front. All those guys have very strong resumes. I don't think they played terrible against the Chargers. They just didn't have the typical wow-me numbers. I mean, they sacked Herbert two times, and as far as quarterback hits, they had five. I mean, you could do a lot worse than those numbers in the first week of the season. It's just that the Chargers, when you look at the game, L.A. had a lot of yardage. But this is where I think Washington did well. There were six red zone opportunities, Paul, for the Chargers. They walked away with two touchdowns, and this brings me to the Giants. Well, Two here turnovers, we go. though, Lance. Two turnovers. Yeah, they did. They turned the ball over. Correct. But, hey, 
you have six opportunities in the red zone. I'm going by the results. I don't care whether you turn the ball over, you turned it over on yeah. downs, or you had to settle for a field goal. The bottom line is you get six opportunities in the red zone. You only walk away with two touchdowns. If I'm a defense, Paul, I like those chances. I oh, like that yeah. percentage. Yeah. From a defensive perspective, I could understand where you're looking at the bottom line. But, I mean, I, I watched that full Washington game yesterday morning. I was up at 5 a.m., and I ran through the entire game. Uh, the Chargers dominated that game, absolutely dominated, especially through the first three quarters. Uh, Washington should have been down by two to three scores. It, it never should have even been respectable. And I think, you know, the people down in Washington realize that. The players have been talking about it. The media has been talking about it down there. They know that they put a stinker on tape. And for that reason, I think, you know, you, you have to be concerned about how angry they might be tonight. Sure. No, I'm not going to dispute that. I just think it's a little blown out of proportion in terms of them not playing very well, I guess is what I'm saying. And I think a lot of credit belongs to the Chargers offensive line. Remember, the Chargers did a heck of a job retooling that offensive line. They brought in some veterans. They drafted Rashawn Slater, and Herbert got rid of the ball very quickly, too. So you know, all of those factors are going to prevent the Washington defense from dominating. You, know, you could go up against a very talented defense, and you as an offense can scheme accordingly where you make them feel as if they didn't play well. But it's not because they didn't execute. It's that I look at it more of Washington didn't have a lot of opportunities. They didn't have a lot of at-bats against Herbert and company because Herbert and company got rid of the football. So, you know, if you're Daniel Jones, and he spoke about this, when Jones met with the media a few days ago, I was actually talking about this with John earlier in the week, Daniel saw that on film. So it's a copycat league. You figure if the Giants are wise, they're going to try to get rid of the football quickly. Why would you ever want to give these guys an opportunity to wreak havoc, especially since, see, to me, the distinct difference, Paul, between the Washington front and the Denver front is Washington is very strong in the interior. They could create pressure with Deron Payne and Jonathan Allen. Those guys can finish. A little bit different where Denver is more defined by the edge. Washington's defined across the board. And that, to me, is going to tell a lot about this game. How does the Giants' interior offensive line handle those guys as well as, I would add, Matt Ioannidis, who is not a starter, but he's going to get a lot of snaps, and he's also very good at applying pressure. Mm -hmm. No, I, I don't disagree with that. But, again, in watching the game, San Diego, which does have, you know, they're, they're an okay offensive line. They're solid. Uh, San Diego, yeah. LA, the Chargers. Yeah. <laughs> the Chargers. <laughs> uh, they used mostly five-man and occasionally a six-man protection scheme. This was not about Herbert getting rid of the ball in one and a half seconds. That's not what it was, Lance. This is part of the reason why Washington's all ticked off is because Herbert had plenty of time. They used, they used a bunch of five and six-man protections. They kept a, a tight end in sometimes. They kept a running back in sometimes. But often it was just five. And he could sit back there and have dessert any time that he wanted to. And, and you know, Chase Young only had two pressures in the game. He was worthless. This, this is why they're angry. Trust me, this wasn't just about Chargers' scheme. This was about Washington's defensive line just did not have any, any bite in it for the first three quarters. They picked it up in the fourth. They seemed to get some momentum in the game uh, when they thought that they were going to come back. The Chargers had taken a, a lead early in the fourth, and then, you know, the Washington D seemed to gain a little, somehow a little bit of energy. But, but it was not a pretty game if, if you're the defensive coordinator. It just was not. Well, I was also listening to Ron Rivera, and he had mentioned, you know, one of his biggest takeaways was guys just were getting out of their assigned gaps and taking too many chances, too. And I think that's natural. Week one, you haven't played a game in a while. You want to make the big play. And when you get so itchy, then sometimes you get away from the game plan and you're not as disciplined. So we'll see whether or not. And that's not just, to me, true for Washington. I think for all teams, even the Giants included. You know, did guys get to a point where they just were so desperate to make a play that you get out of character within the scheme? And this week, are you a little bit more well-disciplined? I think that's something to watch for both of these teams. Lance Meadow, Paul Dettino with you here, Thursday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live as we get set for tonight's game in Landover, Maryland between the Giants 
and Washington football team. We're going to open up the phone lines as we move forward here at 201-939-4513. You can also hit us up at hashtag Giants Chat. Just real quickly, we mentioned the Giants injury report. Antonio Gibson was the only player listed on Washington's injury report during the week, but he has no game status, so he's good to go, which means they pretty much have a clean bill of health with the exception, of course, that Taylor Heineke is going to start in place of Ryan Fitzpatrick, who was placed on IR with a hip injury. And we'll get a little bit more into Heineke as we progress here over the course of the program. In the meantime, let's open up the lines. We got Sal, who is in Valley Stream. What's happening, Sal? Good afternoon, guys. Thanks for taking my call. How you doing? Hi. We're doing all right, Sal. What do you got for us? Um, I got a question for you guys. What do you think we're going to see out of Daniel Jones tonight against Washington? Because I, I know they might win this game tonight, I think. What do you guys think? You guys think Saquon Barkley's going to play? I have no reason to think that he won't. You know, I think the big, the bigger question for you and anybody else, and it looks like is, we lost out. <laughs> after he played what forty eight percent of the snaps last week, how much will he play tonight, and then how many of those snaps will be decoy snaps? You know, I mean that that's ultimately if you're trying to gauge what Barkley's going to do, you have to figure out well how many touches do you think he'll get? He got eleven touches last week and had two additional targets. One was a drop, and one was an incompleted pass. I, in my mind, I still don't think he goes over 20 touches. But if he if he touches that and and goes a couple of more, maybe. But I, I'm in my mind, Barkley is still not a 25 touch back two weeks into the season after knee surgery. He's just not. Yeah, especially since this is now two games in five days. I find it hard to believe that they're going to dramatically increase his usage and his touches. And the breakdown of those 11 touches, it was 10 runs and one reception. And then Paul mentioned, obviously, the two other targets that did not get to the level of execution that they had hoped for. So, no, I would not expect a drastic increase in terms of his touches and his usage. I would think it's probably going to be in the same ballpark, maybe a little bit slightly higher depending on how he came out of the game. But no, I mean, considering they don't have a full week of rest, it'd be very shocking for them to all of a sudden go with a bigger group of plays for Saquon Barkley today. Yeah, I'm Let's, with uh, you, Lance. Yeah. I'm with you. As far as Daniel Jones, which was the other part of the equation for the caller, He's had a good track record against Washington. He's won all four of his starts. Well, the Giants have won all four of his starts with him as the starting quarterback. And his numbers, I think, are far more impressive against Washington than they are against other teams. But, you know, like anything else, Washington also has made some changes. They got some new faces in the secondary. There's not necessarily the same group that he's gone up against in the previous four starts. And you're still dealing with some new faces around him, and you got Shane Lemieux down. So, you know, you have to take all of that into consideration. And a defense that... You know, even though, as Paul and I were discussing earlier, may have not played their best game, they only allowed 20 points to the Chargers, and they didn't necessarily let them knock on the door every time they got to the red zone. So this is still going to be quite the challenge. On a short week against one of the good defenses in the NFL, you just hope that the decision-making is where it should be. You don't give gifts to Washington. This is not the type of game you want to shorten the field. And you'd like to see, Paul, the Giants be able to manufacture, whether it's Saquon or somebody else, more of a run game. They were unable to establish the run. I know they ran the ball 20 times, but they got 60 yards. That's three yards of carry, and Daniel yeah. Jones was their leading rusher. You need better production on the ground tonight. Booker is going to have to do something for them because I don't think you can rely heavily on Barkley, as we both mentioned a few moments ago. And then offensively, my goodness, you just want to find wherever St. Just and Fuller are on the field. Those two guys were, were really cut up by Herbert last week. Uh, they both gave up uh, uh, half a dozen or so completions. Between the two of them, they gave up 150 yards, I think it was. Uh, and, and, of course, St. Just got burned by Mike Williams in the corner of the end zone for a touchdown because in man-to-man coverage, he doesn't have the size or the height or the experience. He's only a third-round draft pick this year. D- could not match up. So if, if you can somehow isolate either one of those two guys like the Chargers did last week, you will have a field day. I would think they're going to put Jackson on Galladay. That, that seems to be the smart move. And then try to take their chances with the other two guys against Shepard and Slayton, which would mean if I'm the Giants, those are the two guys I'd want to feature. 
If I'm Washington, I'm also interested to see whether or not they utilize Cameron Curl a little bit more, perhaps even in the slot, because if you go back to last season, Mm -hmm. he wasn't just a safety. He took some snaps at corner, and he didn't have an overwhelming amount of snaps in the first game, so I wonder if maybe they make a slight adjustment. They also brought in Bobby McCain, who's another guy that's interchangeable, a polished vet who could play corner. He also could play safety, and, of course, they have Landon Collins. So they really have three safeties, but two of those guys – can move to corners. So based on the performance of St. Juice, I wonder will we see more snaps out of two of those three guys that I mentioned at the cornerback position just to give the Giants some different looks. That may be something to monitor. It's very possible, Lance. I mean, you know, of course, Rivera is not going to be thrilled after he looks at that tape from last week, and he may just decide that a couple of lineup changes are in order would make sense, especially if they don't want the Giants passing game to get going and knowing that if the Giants can't establish the run, they're going to have to rely on Daniel Jones's arm just like they did against the Denver Broncos. Let's head back to the phone lines. Joe is in South Plainfield. What's happening, Joe? Hey, guys. Thank you so much for taking my call. I appreciate it. Hi. Well, thanks for making it. So what do you got for us? All right. So I'm not a doomsdayer or anything. I have a lot of confidence in this offense, and I think the coaching staff can turn it around. But, you know, say hypothetically the, the offense continues to struggle. You know, at what point does Joe Judge, who always, you know, I love, who preaches, you know, accountability, does he go to Jason Garrett and say, listen, you have to open up this offense a little bit, play to Jones's strengths. I know game dictates what he can and can't do sometimes, but when he say, listen, if you can't do it, I'm going to have to hand the play calling duty to someone else that can at least change it up and let it spark. Well, Freddie Kitchens was transferred from the tight ends coach last season to senior offensive assistant this season. And the way that Joe Judge explained it to us, and and Lance, see if you agree here, because I kind of thought the way Judge explained it is that he and Kitchens and Garrett kind of formulate the generic game plan and the philosophy of what they want to do during the week. At least this is the way I interpreted what Judge had said. And then Garrett... After the three of them convene, Garrett then gets into the nitty-gritty and actually puts the playbook together. Yeah, I think that's a fair synopsis. Kitchens also has experience as a play caller, and he, remember, filled in for Jason Garrett when Garrett had to deal with COVID last season. So you have other guys on staff that are capable of calling the plays, but yeah, just like the offensive line, you have a lot of guys coaching up the offensive line. It's no different than in terms of the strategy and the game plan on the offensive side of the ball. You get Judge has his influence. Kitchens is no longer just with the tight end, so he has a little bit more flexibility. So you're getting the input of various people. But I think on game day, though, Paul, Garrett is the guy at the controls. Yes. I mean, he's clearly the one communicating with Daniel Jones and going with the plays that he feels best suited for the game plan as well as what Daniel Jones is most comfortable because normally you sit down with your quarterback and you're like, okay, of the plays we went through this week, what do you like? What's most comfortable? What do you think will do the most damage against the opponent? Normally, offensive coordinators and quarterbacks have those conversations. As far as, you know, Joe, you brought up the whole thing about going more down the field. Well, that early play to Darius Slated was a product of you caught the Broncos offside. So that was a free play. You might as well throw the ball down the field and you see whether or not you get a penalty. And that's exactly what happened. But I don't think you're going to throw the ball down the field for the sake of throwing the ball down the field because that's where Daniel Jones could get into trouble where you're pressing the envelope, you're trying to create something, and you put the ball in harm's way. So I think you got to be careful based on the coverage and where you are in the game. That's the fine line you always have to walk, whether it be this offense or any other offense. I understand that, Lance, but that's the only major shot they took all game. I understand you got to be careful and then whatnot, but you know, every now and then, I mean, like when they were backed up to the end zone at the five-yard line, I know it's not the ideal place to take a shot, but at least throw it deep and maybe you'll get a penalty. Maybe you'll connect. Maybe things will start clicking a little more. I mean, listen, I'm not a coach, obviously, but from a fan's perspective, it's just like we have the weapons. We have them. It's just I don't feel they're being utilized to the greatest extent, especially Slayton, who can really take the top off of defense. You know, Joe, I think it's a very fair comment that you're making. And, again, I wasn't sure if you were talking about opening things up specifically during the game with the actual plays themselves or if you were talking about philosophy going into the game. I was talking more about the philosophy going in, but I could absolutely agree with you if you were talking about specific plays in that the Giants' pass protection was pretty good last week. It really was. And when you consider that, you know, Jones did have a functional amount of time, it would have made sense to go back and give him a couple of shots deep. 
it's not like they had to get rid of the ball in 2.1 seconds. No, he had an adequate amount of time. Usually we will say to you, well, he's got to get the ball out quick. There's no time to develop those routes 40 yards downfield. That wasn't the case last week. And they did not go downfield. So I appreciate your curiosity there because I, I kind of scratched my head a little bit myself. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, guys. Maybe we'll turn around tonight. You never know. <laughs> I hope <Joe>. so. <laughs> One thing for sure, Lance, and we know this, uh, the, the uh, Washington football team's safeties are not particularly proficient in helping out in coverage. They don't have a lot of range. Curl is pretty quick coming up to line of scrimmage to try to help on the short passing game, but he doesn't have a lot of range deep, and we know Landon Collins doesn't either. So that could open things up a little bit more downfield. You got Kenny Galladay, you have Darius Slade, and nobody's disputing the fact that the Giants don't have the vertical threats on the field. And Galladay you know, started to make some plays later in the game against Denver where Daniel Jones was even throwing to him in very – tight areas and Galladay came through I mean the one that was most impressive was the one where he laid out across the field and made a play for his quarterback so you certainly want to see him get more chances to do that I think though the biggest difference though and this is where we get into the dynamics of the opponent so Washington safeties not necessarily as strong as Denver safeties when it comes to range and coverage but once again Washington's front I think is more well-balanced and stronger than Denver's front. So is the protection the same? Does Daniel Jones have the same amount of time? Remember, that's always going to dictate how many chances they could take down the field. And I guess what I'm getting at, Paul, is just because you feel like they could have done that more against Denver doesn't mean that all of a sudden they're going into the game and they may be saying, hey, we want to take chances down Mm -hmm. the field. But if the line doesn't hold up and Daniel Jones doesn't have as much time, then all bets are off and you have to change up your game plan. Oh, that's true. And, and to be honest with you, Lance, that's one of the reasons why if you're going to do that, if you're going to take a deep shot that's going to take a few more seconds to develop and it's going to force Jones to hold on to the ball a little bit more, you're going to have to do it either early in the game, okay, when it's still tight or when you maybe have even a small lead, and you're going to have to do it early in the downs. You don't do that when it's – you know, second and nine, or if it's, you know, third and seven. That's not the time to do that because you know the pass rush is going to be on 150 miles an hour and Washington is going to try to kick it up and get after your guy. But if you do it on first and 10, that's a little bit different because now they're not selling out on the pass rush, which gives you a better chance to go downfield and to have that play develop. That, that's the thing that got me. If the Giants were going to do it, and I did want to see them do it a little bit last week, they didn't they did do a whole lot of creativity on early downs. The early downs last week were, were runs and short passes. Though that's where you want to hit people with the big pass. Yeah, well, especially since if second and nine you go for the home run and it's not a high percentage throw. Now you're in trouble. Yeah, of course, because now you're facing a third and nine and you're hurting yourself even more to move the chain. So I'm with you there. The other thing, though, that I think is a good way to slow down the pass rush, and this is where they fail to really make consistent plays, is you have Barkley back. I understand he's still recovering from the knee. And you have Kadarius Toney, who was limited You'd like to try to see if you could get those guys, even off of short passes, Paul, out into open space and get these pass rushers out on the sideline to try to chase these guys because I think that can loosen up the pass rush and then also set up favorable third downs. Where they failed was their inefficiency on first and second down a lot against Denver. You know, think about this. They get the 42-yard play to Sladen, and then on the next two plays, mm-hmm. you lose eight yards. And yeah. those weren't home runs. Those were basic plays where we're trying to run the ball with Booker we're trying to dump it off to Tony and see if he can wiggle out of traffic and make some room if they can get those types of plays going then I think they have even more of a chance to take some shots down the field look I hate second guessers so I'm going to actually ram myself into a wall after saying this but right after the completion of Slayton all right they get into Broncos territory they've got themselves set up really well that next play on first down I'm going to the end zone Seriously, I'm going to the end zone right there. I'm shaking him up. I just hit him with a big one. I'm going to go right after him again while they're still a little bit shaken up, and I'm going to go for a big one right then and there. I'm not going to wait, and I'm certainly not going to throw a gadget play at them. I, I, but I don't, I don't want to dwell on that because I hate to second-guess people. And, but, you know, I, I understand the frustration in some of the play calling last week. 
And I, and I again, I like Jason Garrett. He's a hell of a guy. He's a hell of a football man. I think he gets a, a lot too much criticized uh, criticized sometimes. But but I can tell you that I, I did think that there were some things they might have been able to do last week that they did not do. And we'll see how it turns out tonight. Well, and I think the other reason why he gets unfairly criticized sometimes specifically, I'm going to go more to last season than the Denver game. The Devils' weapons. Well, that, number one, but also there are a few opportunities where you could say it was on the player for not executing. Sure. It wasn't necessarily the play call, right? No doubt. But they, so, what they you know, people don't want to talk about that. They just want to say, oh, well, it's in the play call. Well, let's put it this way. On that third down to Evan Ingram in Philadelphia, I don't think there was anything wrong with the play call. The bottom line is the player didn't make the catch, period. And they failed to move the chains, and they had to give the ball back to Philadelphia. So and they I mean, were, you got to look were, at it from that standpoint. They were one of the leading teams in the NFL with drops last year. So that, goes, go. to your, that yep. goes to your point. Before we revisit the phone lines, a few reminders to throw out here. Don't miss out on the return of New York Giants football. The 2021 season is now underway, but there is still time to secure your season tickets and root on your Giants here at MetLife Stadium. You can speak with a Giants ticket representative now. Become a season ticket member. Call 888-NYG-1925. You can also take in all the action of New York Giants football from your very own private suite. Giant suites are a great way to entertain the family and friends while rooting on your Giants here at MetLife Stadium. You can speak with a Giant suite representative now by calling 888-NYG-1925. September 26, which is the next home game, the Giants are going to retire Eli Manning's jersey in style. The Giants are offering an exclusive suite package, which includes Eli bobbleheads, jerseys, T-shirts, and more. You can speak with a Giants suite representative now by calling 888-NYG-1925 for this one. Select option number four. And lastly, the Delta variant is spreading quickly in all areas of New York State. People who are not fully vaccinated are at greater risk from COVID-19. Protect yourself, get vaccinated. Visit ny.gov slash get vaccinated or talk to your health care provider. Lance Meadow, Paul Dettino with you here. Thursday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. We are setting the stage for the Giants and Washington on Thursday Night Football. Let's head back to the phone lines. Christian is in Albany. What's happening, Christian? Hey, guys. I see you're running a little late today, so I'll be quick. Um, I just wanted to say uh, I think this offense would take a, a big step immediately if they would start throwing beyond the sticks on third down. And I get that you can't do that every single time. Sometimes you're in third and long and you're really not in a great situation. And matchup has a lot to do with it. But um, this you know, this team routinely targets, um, you know, short of the sticks on like way too often, you know, a good three, four times a game. And it, they're, they're almost kind of give up place. And um, so, you know, I just, I hope that's one thing that kind of picks up. And I'm sorry if that's been mentioned a lot this week. And just to make a comment about Washington, uh, I've heard a lot about their inside linebackers uh, having issues with coverage. So, you know, I really hope we attack those guys tonight. Well, I think that's where the Chargers really took advantage of and appreciate mm -hmm. the phone call because if you look at the Chargers' efficiency, those intermediate throws is where Herbert pretty much had a field day. So, I mean, I think that's certainly a fair point. You know, Jamin Davis, who they drafted in the first round this year, is their middle linebacker, and Cole Holcomb and John Bostic are their two outside guys. So, you know, all three of them, Davis, I think, has the potential, but right now he's only two games into his NFL career, not necessarily known as coverage guys. Holcomb and Bostic are more against the run. Now, Holcomb actually led the team in tackles on Sunday. He had 11 tackles, so I think that pretty much supports that cause. So, yeah, I don't think there's anything wrong with trying to see if you can loosen things up by attacking the middle of the field because, Paul, I think that's where Herbert had a lot of his success on Sunday. Yeah, and quite honestly, that's where you would love to have had Evan Ingram back. Because yep. we all know that attacking the middle of the field is usually an area for the tight end. Uh, could potentially Kyle Rudolph become much more of the passing game today than he was last week? I certainly hope so. Well, that was why they brought him in. I mean, they brought him in to be that complimentary piece to Evan Ingram, but also, you know, be somebody that could move the chains and be a red zone threat. There just weren't a lot of opportunities to get him involved in week number one. Now that Evan Ingram is out again, you would hope that perhaps that would be an area that they would look to attack. But you know, I also, I don't look at it just as the tight ends. I'll go back to my point. If you can get, once again, short passes. See, piggybacking off of the last comment from the caller, if you have guys that can make people miss, 
it's not necessarily a crime to throw the ball slightly short of the sticks because part of your rationale in that is the play is designed to get Tony, to get Barkley out in open space, and you have confidence that they can win their one-on-one battles specifically against a linebacker. So I think that's also part of the rationale as to why some throws are designed. Hey, it's not exactly at the chains. It's maybe a yard or two shy because we have faith that those guys can make guys miss. Yeah, they just didn't throw a lot to those two guys. That, sure. that would make sense. Yeah. That would make sense if that was the case, Lance, but they didn't use those guys in that way last week. I will say this. One of the things they always tell you that can slow down a defensive line that's coming after the quarterback is the screen. Yeah. That, that's that's one of the tried and true methods. It goes back to football 101. Use the screen because that'll take some of the salt out of those guys. Well, you know what? If the Giants are going to do that tonight, you certainly could do that with wide receiver screens with Tony or Shepard. We, we, you know, that's clearly an option. Uh, you could also use Barkley. You could also use Booker, who has shown when he's been here during training camp that he's got good hands. I'm completely with you, and that's what I was hitting on earlier when I was saying, hey, the way to slow down the Washington pass rush is to get those guys involved. Now, you mentioned opportunity. I mean, let's be realistic here. Tony only played five offensive snaps. Right. So he was only on the field for 8% of those snaps. The reason why he didn't have opportunity is because they didn't play him an awful lot. No, that's very true. He was obviously not a big part of the game plan, but we knew going in he was going to be a smaller part because he did miss so much time during the spring and, and the summer. Well, and that's why I'm just emphasizing that because the two guys we're talking about that are effective in the screen game, Barkley and Tony, were the two guys that didn't get a lot of snaps in the you first know, week. So. You know what would be funny? I tell you, I tell you, you know what I'd love to see them do? I'd love to see them bring Tony in and use him as a screen decoy and then actually do a reverse screen to the other side. How many Washington defenders – you think when they see Tony lined up either wide or in the slot and you put him in motion, they're all going to be looking at him, just like the Broncos did last week on that play after the Slayton bomb. Everybody in the building was looking at Tony, and they knew he was going to get the ball. Well, how about you use that as a decoy, and instead Daniel Jones takes the snap, pivots, turns the other way, and throws to the flat to Barkley, and he takes off for 30 yards. Anytime you could get linebackers to have to cover sideline to sideline, specifically this group, I think it's a good thing. And they did try some misdirection even against the Denver Broncos, and it didn't necessarily catch those guys off guard. That's because I think you know a guy like even Von Miller is so good at chasing people down for a man his size and given how many years he's in the league. Washington, you know, guys like Chase Young and Montez Sweat, they've got motors. So, you know, you're not always going to win those battles, but if you can get favorable matchups with the linebackers and testing them on the second level, I'm all for that. Let's head back to the phone lines. Peter is in the Florida Keys. What's happening, Peter? Hey, guys. How you doing today? Hi. We're doing all right. What do you got for us? Cool. So, uh, Paul, that was a good idea about the, the uh, misdirection trickery for uh, Tony. It's a great idea. You know everybody's keying on him, and we noticed that specifically when he had those two uh, plays. Mm-hmm. Um, so my, my question for you, I, the one thing that was, well, not the one thing, but one of the things that I was very perplexed about was the snap count that Jabril Peppers had in the last game. Um, and I was thinking about it. I'm wondering if you guys have some insight on this. And as I was thinking about it, one, is Jabril hurt in any way? No, no, he already or, told us. He, he played poorly, and he knows he played poorly. He admitted that he did a very poor job in press coverage where he didn't press the guys okay. when he was supposed to. And then he, yeah. had, he, had a, he had a few coverage issues and recognition problems. He, he admitted the other day he played a poor game. He was very disappointed in himself. He took that okay. on himself. Uh, he wound up only playing half the game. He, you know, he knows he was pulled out. And, uh, you know, that's just, that's just the way it went. So, okay, cool. Cool. I mean, Noah Fan took advantage. Let's just say that. Right. Yeah, there was a okay. third down catch. The other thing he did admit, though, he said part of that was in the conversation going into the game that maybe he wouldn't play as much as he did in the past. Because if you notice, McKinney's snap count skyrocketed yeah. compared to yeah. it was in the final six games of the season. I think part of that is going back to the philosophy of what the Giants have with their young offensive linemen. The only way you truly get to know what you have in these young guys is you got to get them out on the field. And McKinney didn't play a lot because he broke right. his foot. So I think they're trying to find the balance where you have Peppers on the field, but also you give McKinney a lot more experience. And I think that at least played out 
for at least the first week of the season. Knowing Jabril as well as I do, I think he's going to be out there on fire tonight. <laughs> he's got all the motivation in the world. Well, I would say the entire defense has all the motivation in the world, yeah. not just him. So when I was watching the game, I saw him out there the first half. I didn't see him the second half. I looked at the snap counts, and I saw Xavier had tons of snaps. And I was like, oh, no, I wonder if because they're thinking about extending Jabril soon, you know, maybe they're transitioning and he might be a potential trade person. I, I hate to but, tell you, but they're just trying to win yeah. a game is what they're trying to do, no, and, that, and that's what's happening. It. it has nothing yeah. to do with anything else. Yeah, okay, I think well, you're reading too much back. into it. I don't think it has anything to do with the long-term contract or whatever it may be. Okay, I think it's a cool. combination, once again. I think it's partially because yep. Peppers struggled. But I also think, yep. and you know, this is not reading too much into it, I think they do want to give McKinney more playing time this year. I mean, once again, he didn't play a lot. So how do you know what he could do and the different scenarios that you throw him into? Well, you put him out on the field as much as you can. The Broncos were having yep. a lot more success throwing the ball than running the ball in the first three quarters of that game. Okay, McKinney has more speed and more range than Peppers does. So it should not have surprised you that his snap count went up as the game went on. Makes complete sense. Thanks, guys. Appreciate your All right, Peter. Good day. Appreciate the phone call. Let's uh, head back to the phone lines. Mark is in Barbados. What's happening, Mark? Hi. How are you guys doing? Hello. What do you got for us? Good. Well, this is my second time calling. I Just before I make any comments, I just want to say, you guys do a great job of objectively um, talking about the team and so forth. So thanks a lot. So well, much. we well, appreciate your time appreciate listening that. to us. Yes, sure. Yeah. So uh, I'm calling from Barbados. I, I'm, some of my comments are going to relate to some of the things that have been said before. I mean, like um, lack of explosive plays. I'm thinking that, um, you know, with the kind of pass protection that Jones had in the last game and, and the time to to throw and so forth. You got the ball out about just over 2.5 seconds out of his hands. And um, I saw him really make a lot of improvement in terms of his movement in the pocket and manipulating the pocket and so forth. And if, and, and given the quality of the pass, actually, if you don't do it then in that game, when are you, when are you going to do it? Because this league, you can't win with just trying to move the chains along and move the chains along, get into the red zone and, and then, then try and and, and and score. And even so, we have problems scoring in the red zone. Maybe we should try to score before the red zone. So um, I'm just saying that, uh, that I'm not sure why the play calls are like that, but I really would like to see some improvement where that's concerned. Um, also, the old, I mean, the uh, Caden Smith, um, you know, he's not too involved in the passing game, but whenever he's involved, he sees a step up to the plate. So just some thoughts on that, and, and, and maybe the last thing I'll say, you can take them all at once. All right. Um, I'll, I'll give you all three real quick. Caden oh. Smith is a short-range okay. check-down target. He's not a guy who really stretches the field much or is going to demand a lot of extra attention from a defense. Uh, so, yes, mm-hmm. he does catch the ball. He's got good hands, but, but his stuff is mm-hmm. going to be about 10 yards downfield. You're not going to get explosive plays mm-hmm. out of him. As far as your, your red zone thing, when you're going to be effective in the red zone, it's because you were effective with your power running game. When when the field gets smaller, if you if you can pound it with your offensive line and get some movement with your backs, well, now that opens everything up for you down there, even though it's a short field, and you are able to do a bunch of different things. When you don't have a power offensive line and a power running game, now everybody knows in that short field you're going to throw it, and it really causes a lot more problems for you to get it into the end zone. And that's been an issue now with, with the Giants for years. And your third point, yeah. I'm all on board with this. I've said this 100,000 times. When you get to the 30-yard line, throw it to the end zone. Why do you have to get into the 20? Why do you have to crawl into the red zone? What's wrong with throwing a 30-yard touchdown pass? Somebody explain that to me. No, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, listen, that's how they got the Shepard touchdown. But I do think you can't go into a season thinking every single one of your touchdowns is going to be from 30 yards out. I'm not suggesting that, Lance, but you got to take a shot before you get into the red zone, especially if you've had so much trouble like the Giants have had in recent years. There's nothing wrong with that.
No, and I don't disagree with you, but I, I mean, still think that they've had good opportunities in the red zone, opportunities where you should be able to run the football, and that should be the focus to improve that facet. Because, no doubt. Listen, I'll bring up – I just brought up the red zone efficiency numbers from last season because we're only one game into the year. If you look at the teams that – were a top red zone efficiency. The common theme here is they all have some semblance of a run game. Green Bay was number one with what Aaron Jones could do, and now A.J. Dillon. Tennessee had Derrick Henry. Seattle had a plethora of guys. They didn't have one guy, but Carson and Carlos Hyde were their two main guys last season. Cleveland with Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. New Orleans with Kamara. Minnesota, Dalvin Cook. And then San Francisco, we know, could pound the football. Those were the top seven teams in red zone efficiency last season. It's not a coincidence that all seven of those teams felt good about being able to run the football in tight spaces. It can be done over the course of a season. You just need to have the offensive line perform at a significant level. You need your running backs to make people miss, and you need your running backs to see the holes well and trust the play where they're not doing a lot of dancing because that could easily screw up your chances as well. You know, I'm, I'm just... Did we have... Go ahead. Did we have... Sorry. Did we have more success last year in the red zone when we were going through that phase of running the ball well? Little bit. Yeah, with Wayne Goldman, you could argue. Okay. Yep, little yeah. bit. Yeah. Because I mean, at, I, at so, that point I mean, in time, I, the Giants started to become more of a power-running team. They had a stretch there of about mm-hmm. seven games where they averaged like 130, 135 yards a game on the ground. Well, they also had a stretch, Paul, in the middle of the season where red zone efficiency increased dramatically because Mm -hmm. they were pretty much the early stage of the season. It was dreadful. Then it improved, and then all of a sudden it took a nosedive, and that's why they finished below 50%. After they started to run the ball. Correct. Exactly. Yeah. It always comes back to that. Yeah. So so we're not – we haven't – well, obviously we didn't run the ball well at all. Nope. Uh, uh, Last game, I mean, we threw threw on our – Success on throwing on first down was so much better than running the ball last game. I mean, of course, it can change this game. We don't know. The teams are different. Um, you know, we, you know, whether we attack in the middle of the field, as, you know, who knows. But the, other, the last point I want to make, because I don't want to take up too much more time, was um, the defense. We seem to be making the assumption that the defense will just make the adjustment and they'll be much better next game. Um, no, maybe that's because of the success of the defense last year, but I'm not so sh- sure about that because I mean, you know, everybody's got to have time to play with one another, and it's clear that that the preparation during the preseason up until now, um, with whatever new schemes or new players, not too many new players on defense, but certainly maybe changing up the scheme to more man-to-man and whatever else, um, that that that's going to take some time, and um, so I'm not so sure that we should just make the assumption that hey. That will just change like that, and we'll just almost be so much better. And especially when I was looking at some of the All 22 tape, uh, you know, I have I have some concerns where that's concerned. But you know, I, I know, think Coach Graham, be, you know, Coach Graham, the defensive coordinator, tried to warn you about that last week, that the continuity yeah. and shaking off the rust because of so few snaps played together during the preseason. Look, this is another whole philosophical issue. This has nothing to do with that yeah. game per se. It's a philosophical issue. How many snaps during the preseason, especially with only three games now, do you really need your starters to play together? And this is going to be a big debate, I guarantee you, going into the next summer because there are teams that are going to be shaking their heads saying, you know what, we only played our guys for a couple of quarters. We probably should have played them more. And then there's going to be other guys who say, no, 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 can't afford to get guys hurt, don't want to play them too much, need to evaluate all those other young guys trying to make the roster, and this debate is going to go on till the end of time. And this is what happens when you reduce the number of preseason games and you reduce the number of hits and the number of tackles that you can have during training camp. This is what you get. This is why the game has been watered down and why the golden era of the NFL was the 70s and the 80s. That's why. All right, Mark. Well, appreciate the phone call. Thanks for weighing in. In terms of what we also said earlier this offseason, you just can't take for granted that the way a defense finishes is the way they're going to pick up and all of a sudden carry over into the following season. It's just football doesn't work like that. The other thing to keep in mind is 
Now there's more film out there of Patrick Graham's defense with a lot of these guys out there. So, you know, last year, you didn't really know much about the Giants' defense. You had a lot of new personnel. You had a new coordinator. Well, now you got a year's worth of material to look at, too. Keep that in mind. Mm-hmm. You have to continue to adapt and, adapt and change based on now opponents having a better read on who you are and what your identity is. He also was on the record, and we were emphasizing this, that he was very concerned about the run defense coming into the season. Part of it was, Paul, because of what you talked about, guys not being out there, not practicing tackling. And the other part was, of course, you lose Dalvin Tomlinson, guys now taking on new roles. So Graham pretty much had a pretty good read on that. He was concerned for a reason. You definitely want to see them make strides in that department, especially because Antonio Gibson is not just utilized as a running back, but he's also lining up more as a wide receiver. Why? Because he was a wide receiver at Memphis. So you figure now he's more comfortable with the NFL level. Scott Turner, the offensive coordinator, is going to tap into that. So I don't think that's necessarily a stunning development. Before we get to another phone call. Yeah, before you go to that call, though, let me just throw one thing out there because you just mentioned it. Dalvin Tomlinson is obviously with the Vikings now. We all thought that Danny Shelton would be the primary guy to replace him in those run-stopping downs. Austin Johnson played an awful lot against Denver last week, and I thought he played well. He was very active. I don't want to – I don't want to – take anything away from him and I don't want to point any fingers about oh Tomlinson's gone so the Giants defense suffered against Denver I think that's a bunch of horseradish Austin Johnson played well last week he played 50 percent of the defensive snaps and I don't think the run defense was terrible no okay I don't want to come off like that but I do think there was still room for improvement because when I look at the overall production, I know people are going to say, oh, well, you know, outside of the Melvin Gordon 70-yard run, it wasn't that bad. Well, first of all, it wasn't as if Gordon had this hole up the middle and it parted like the Red Sea. Gordon weaved in and out of traffic to make that rushing touchdown. That's number one, okay? So meaning there were guys in position to make a play. They didn't make a play. So that, I think, is worthy of bringing up. It wasn't like one of those home runs where it's right. a miscommunication, right? And you're like, all right, you'll correct that on film. No, that was you guys were in position to make a play. You didn't do that. That's number one. Number two... There weren't a lot of negative runs for Denver. So that, to me, is also a sign. They were walking away with positive plays, and that makes your third downs more manageable, which then allows Teddy Bridgewater to be more comfortable. So when I look at the run defense, it's not as if I'm looking at it, oh, my God, the Giants gave up one explosive play after another. I'm looking at the complete set, the whole performance. I would say there were very mixed results. To your point, Austin Johnson, he played a lot. He handled his own. But the group overall was not as stingy as we've seen in the past. I totally concur. The other thing that I wanted to bring up in terms of the conversations we were having earlier is I was looking at the red zone plays for the last two possessions, Paul, where the Giants failed. They turned over on downs just to help highlight what we were talking about, the importance of the run game. So for the first possession, it was first and goal at the Denver 7. Daniel Jones, incomplete pass to Barkley. Then Barkley ran for a yard. And then you had an incomplete pass to Kyle Rudolph in the end zone and an incomplete pass to Kenny Galladay. And I thought Kyle Fuller made a heck of a play on the ball. So you, know, you got to give the defense some credit. But you had four plays in the red zone. You passed on three of them. So this is the idea of does the defense even respect your run game? Okay, then we go to the other possession. The other possession, you were at the 16, so you're a little bit further away than the previous possession. Incomplete pass to Rudolph, deep middle. Incomplete, short pass to Sladen. Okay, at this point, you can't run the ball. It's third and 10 for the Denver 16. I mean, you need to pick up the first down. Daniel Jones is sacked, and now it's fourth and forever, and it's an incomplete pass to Kenny Galladay, and then there was a penalty on Will Hernandez. So I think the earlier execution really hurt what they could do later on in that possession but I just read that's eight red zone plays they ran the ball once with Barkley for just one yard and you know what until the Giants offensive line proves that it can muscle people off the line of scrimmage in those situations can you necessarily blame Garrett for not going there no because I'm sure listen he's getting a feel for what this line could do. It's the new season. He's also looking at Saquon Barkley, what Barkley could do with his first game back. I'm sure it was a lot of, let's play it by ear, let's feel it out. And then you didn't give Barkley a lot of touches to begin with. So, you know, when you get everybody full go, will it improve? I think you hope. But my belief is good running teams, Paul, 
no matter who the personnel that's out there, especially if your line is consistent, you feel good that you can run the ball with Booker. You can run the ball good with Barkley. You can run the ball good with whoever you got to throw out there. Because the Giants had that belief last season, and they proved it. When Wayne Goldman was out there and Barkley wasn't, listen, I'm sure defenses said to themselves, well, we don't have to worry about the dynamic playmaking ability of Saquon. Goldman's a different style running back. But Goldman still found the hole, and he was productive. So if they did it last year, you're going to tell me Garrett feels differently this year where he says whether Barkley's out there for 28 snaps or he's out there for 48 snaps, we still believe we can execute and run the football. I don't think the philosophy has changed. Oh, I don't know. The offensive line right now, to me, has not proven that they can do that. So I I tend to disagree. I I think that Garrett is still trying to figure out exactly what he's got there. He knows that Hernandez has changed positions. He knows that he's got Solder coming back off an opt-out season. He knows he's got Lemieux potentially at left guard, and now he doesn't. Now it's Bredesen, who was brand new to the team only two weeks ago. No, I, I would disagree. I don't think the philosophy is the same, and I don't think he thinks he's got the same stuff. He does have a different mixture there, and it does include some unknowns. And I think that's why he hesitated. And, and certainly during the early part of the game when the Giants had the ball in the first half, well, I know it was only four possessions and a kneel down, but, but they did not show that they were beating anybody off the line of scrimmage. No, so, they did. But so I, mean, I, don't, I don't blame time. him for shying away from the run in the red zone in this particular case. Now, it's something you're going to have to do. If you want to be a winning team, you damn well better be able to run it in the red zone. But they, they haven't shown it so far. Yeah, well, and that's why I'm saying that has to change. You know, whether the results are positive now, you still need to have the commitment to it. And you need to stick to it because also in that cat and mouse game that you're playing with the defense. See, I don't just look at it as you're running the ball for the sake of running the ball. You're giving the defense, okay, something to game plan for that we're not just going to be this pass-happy team when we get inside the 20. That we're going to stick to the run and we're going to commit to the run. And I look at the Steelers last season. To me, what was very frustrating watching that team was they would get into the red zone, and I think teams knew Pittsburgh was pretty much going to abandon the run. It was going to be Ben Roethlisberger throwing the ball in tight spaces. And listen, more and more you get predictable. Teams have a good read on you, and yeah, you're not going to score touchdowns. You're not going to reach the end zone. So it's more about not that you're getting five yards per carry in the red zone. It's that you're committed to it, and teams need to account for it. When you become one-dimensional, you become more predictable. Look and at that's it this what way, I'm emphasizing. Last year, when the Giants went on that four-game winning streak, you recall, right, in November, when they went on the four-game winning streak, Eli Penny suddenly started to get on the field more because he was there to be the lead blocker as the Giants' power running game was picking up a bunch of steam. Well, it does make a difference when you have a fullback in the game or if you're going to go jumbo and use an extra offensive lineman as your third tight end. These are the kinds of formations you need to use if you're going to load up a hammer and knock somebody over the head. And that's what they did specifically against, if you remember, the Seattle Seahawks. Damn straight. Now, they didn't have Daniel Jones in that a game. A lot of triple tight end in that game, wasn't there? A lot yeah. of triple tight end. Sure. You know, and, and that's that's what has to happen. You know, if you're going to go down there and you're inside the 10-yard line and you're going with, with empty backfield and four wide receivers in a spread, what do you think's going to happen? Yeah, they pretty much have a good read on what you're going to do. And they know that right now that formation calls for a pass as opposed to perhaps mixing in the run. Now, you should be able to run the ball out of a variety of different formations because you do want to catch the defense off guard. But I feel as if... Right now, if you were to ask teams, and once again, we'd have to have a conversation with Denver's defense and Vic Fangio, whether or not they picked up those tendencies on film or if they just got a better read on that as the game went along. But something tells me they said to themselves as the game was progressing and as Denver had a comfortable lead, in all likelihood, Giants get down in the red zone, Daniel Jones is going to look to pass the football. You know what it is, Lance? Here's the problem. When, When you get into a tight situation like that, if you want to execute a power run game and you want to force it with some big beef and jumbo packages, you're now reducing the game to mano a mano. It's my will against your will because you're blocking straight ahead and you're just going to do what you can to take that guy's legs out and make him backpedal and make him go down to the ground and you are going to impose your physicality on him. That is the easiest thing to do in football schematically, schematically. 
Now, physically and emotionally and heart-wise and intensity-wise, you got to want to do it. you got to want to beat that guy in front of you. Physically beat him and impose your will on him and say, we're taking this thing right down your throat, you're not stopping us, and we're going into the end zone. Tough. That's what you got to do. When you, when you start scheming with empty backfields and guys in motion and triple bunches to the left side and all that other kind of stuff, now you're relying on X's and O's to get it into the end zone instead of relying on brute strength, force, and willpower. You see? That's the difference. It's a lot harder to do it schematically than it is just to barrel somebody over and punch them in the nose. Well, it's more of a combination of finesse and execution on plays of the latter as opposed to the former where it's once again, you line the guys up, you each have a man, block, let the running back find the hole. Beat your guy. Case. That's it. Go in there and beat your guy. That's, that's, what, that's what red zone football should be about. And when everybody starts getting fancy with trying to do jigger video game X's and O's kinds of stuff and trying to scheme it in the red zone, that's where you get into trouble because you're relying on more execution and finesse than you are brute force strength and willpower. And that's why you get in trouble down there. That's why I always go to the example of the Super Bowl run for the Niners. I know they didn't beat the Chiefs in 2019, but they beat the Packers and the Vikings in the playoffs, and they had drives against each one of those teams where they did not even throw the ball once. Jimmy Garoppolo was handed the ball off. That's right. The opposition knew it was coming, and they were still marching all the way up and down the field. So that wasn't necessarily scheme. That was just guys winning their individual battles, laying down the hammer and pushing the guy out of the way for the running back to find the hole. It can be done. It doesn't have to be sexy. It doesn't have to be pretty. It could just be downright ugly, but it can move the chains. You know and what that's Vince what you have Lombardi, to be able to do, especially when you're five yards away from the red zone. Vince Lombardi zone, would, take, would take an Xbox, put it in the middle of the street, and run a bus over it. <laughs> because video game football, it's for the birds. It has its purpose, but... Timing is everything in football, and when you're in that close proximity of the end zone, small things that you could do, such as run the ball and execute the basics, more often than not leads to sometimes the best results. And the Giants are going to learn a lot about themselves against a very strong defensive front tonight in the Washington football team. So kickoff is 820, our pregame show on WFAN, and it will be streaming on Giants.com. We'll start at 650 tonight. So you can follow us through that. We'll also be on immediately after the game on WFAN as well. And it should be a good one as it's a quick turnaround for both teams. Second game in five days. And we'll be back up and running again with Big Blue Kickoff Live at 1230 on Friday. Paul, enjoyed the conversation. I'll speak to you later today. You got it, Lance. We'll talk to you tonight. All right, that's going to wrap things up for us here on Thursday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live, part of the Giants platforms everywhere, and Giants.com slash podcast. For Paul Dottino, I'm Lance Meadow. Enjoy the rest of your Thursday. Enjoy the game, and we'll speak to you on Friday here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Have a good one.